The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. The Capital Weekly Podcast is a production of Open California and is sponsored by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Okay, take three. (laughs) Uh, Greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard, and I'm joined by Tim Foster, my colleague. Hello. And our special guest today is Bill Wong, the Asian American. Pardon? I just said hi. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You can see this is really, uh, technically, we're really way advanced. But but our special guest today is Bill Wong, the Asian American Pacific Island Caucus, a uh, Democratic strategist for the Assembly and sort of an expert in all things political. We talked with him for years and we wanted to talk with him today about various things. So Bill Wong, uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on. I guess the first, uh, I guess the first question that people are talking about today as it relates to Asian Americans is the uptick, apparent uptick in violence against Asian Americans. Are you seeing the same thing? Is this more than it was before? Has it increased or has this been a steady thing over a period of time? We're just focusing on it more. What do you think? No, there's definitely been a spike. I, th- I think there's been a, the actual spike of uh, hate crimes and anti-Asian sentiment, along with a, um, an increase in the community reporting it. Um, I think that what we've seen so far has just been so jarring that um, what in previous times, the community may have thought were isolated incidences or things that could be overlooked has become such a daily occurrence, if not hourly occurrence now, that um, they, they really feel the need to, to speak out. I think also with the advent of social media, um, I think people are saying now we have the receipts. You know, now we actually have visual proof of this happening. And people in the past, would think that it was that their incident was an aberration. So they didn't report it or they didn't feel like, you know, it was something that they needed to or could act on. But now when they see it happen so many times in so many different places, um, in so many different situations, I think it's been a, a, a galvanizing moment for the Asian Pacific American community. Can they exercise political clout? Uh, the Asian community in California has increased pretty dramatically. I saw numbers this morning. It's at 16%. Now, granted, these are various political persuasions, but as an ethnic group, uh, is there enough cohesion there to concentrate their political power and get something done? Um, I, I think I think we're at the at the point where this uh, where that's going to happen. I mean, I think that you saw that yesterday with the appointment of Rob Bonta. I think that um, you know the the governor met the moment with regard to that appointment and um, the focus of the community and as well as, you know, uh, Rob Bonta's credentials. Um, it was just uh, the, 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 the perfect match for the moment that we were in. Um, and also a, a, a huge sign of respect to the Asian American community um, and, and to Rob Bonta for, for his accomplishments. Um, at the same time, on the federal level, having Judy Chu on the Judiciary Committee and being able for, to have her convene a Judiciary com, uh, Subcommittee hearing on hate crimes um, is something that we would have never had uh, the ability to do. Um, and then also, uh, most recently, uh, Senator, uh, Hawaii U.S. Senator Mizi Hirono and um, Illinois U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth um, had expressed uh, uh, kind of a disenchantment with the administration's uh, diversity of appointments with regard to 
Asian uh, Americans and Pacific Islanders, and they had threatened to withhold their votes. And in a 50-50 Senate, that was a, a huge power move uh, on the behalf of these two uh, AAPI women. Um, and um, you know, what resulted in is, is an agreement with the, the administration to increase diversity with regard to uh, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. As far as Rob Bonta's appointment goes, uh, does he have any issue, any problem in getting confirmed in the legislature? Uh, I don't believe I don't believe so. I mean, he's 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 very well liked. He's got, you know, uh, a very strong uh, record of, of, you know, legislative accomplishments. Um, you know, he's 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 not particularly I mean, there, there are some extremist re Republicans that will use this as a point of attack. Obviously, you know, Bonta represents Alameda and, and the East Bay. And, you know, that's a, that, you know, that that's the, the district that Barbara Lee represents. So, you know, his record is going to be you know, very liberal, but um, I think that it would be very unwise for the Republican caucus to try to attack him at this moment in our state. Okay. Um, the way the procedure works, uh, he gets appointed to this position and he serves, assuming he's confirmed, he serves the unexpired term. Uh, then he can stand for reelection. Can he go to two terms? We're term limited in California to two terms, but he, if he can, then he would basically have two and a half terms or two and a, a third term. Can he go on to, if he wanted to, to run for election first and then run for re-election again? I think that that's my understanding, but I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. Mm -hmm. um, do you see the same thing with Newsom that you're seeing at the federal level? Is there, is there more of an embracing of of Asian Americans are more an embracing of diversity generally in California now lately. Is that more, do you think, has that increased? There, there definitely is a, is a, a stronger sensitivity to it um, uh, for sure. And um, to, you know, for example, uh, on meet the press, Chuck Todd had uh, a panel on Asian American hate crimes with no Asians on it. Um, and that that got dragged pretty badly on social media. <laughs> yeah, um, so, you know, and, and not just by Asians, but but, you know, a, a large group of, you know, the uh, coalition of, of you know, people of color who who clearly saw that as, as a pretty bad oversight. Mm -hmm. You know, we noticed I remember Tim and I were talking about this several times before, but our first conference, we started in, sort of engaging the political community and doing conferences on issues of statewide import. And our first one. It was a series of panel discussions during the day, and the last panel was blindingly white. I was it was glaringly white. Not only was it white, it was like people my age now, which then of course were, you know, really old. Now I think they're amazingly young, but <laughs> it just seemed like, you know, I mean and, and for a state that that's you know, we're we're that diverse. And then to see that it really wasn't reflective of the state as a whole. It was sort of a physical reminder that we need to be cognizant of that, you know. So yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think not. that I don't think that it's, it's you know, it, it's just a, a function of the world that we're in, in the sense that, um, you know, like, you know, I joke with with my friends that, you know, I'm a disappointment to my tiger parents because I'm, I'm you know, I'm in a, a career that is not respected uh, by, um, you know, Asian families. So. You well, know, you're a journalist too, huh? Okay. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> there's, there's like a small like group of, of, of careers that are like, uh, um, you know, um, just, uh, non-acceptable to Asian parents. Um, so, 
uh, you know, finding diversity is hard sometimes because we're just not there. Um, and uh, it takes a while to, to get there. I mean, I think that, you know, if you look at, um, say, Latino participation, it, you know, um, prior to 187 and then post 187, you're going to see a significant difference of people that are participating in the political process. Um, you know, for example, in the, in the Asian American community, we have like a lot of Asian Americans that, that are, um, you know, involved in the nonprofit sector and in, in professional sectors. But after this, I think you're going to see a, a pretty large jump of people that are going to be interested in the political realm. You think um, there's less cohesion politically uh, among Asian Americans? Uh, there, there are different groups, there are different persuasions, there are Republicans and Democrats, obviously, and others. Uh, the African-American community, about 6%, I think, of the population is, seems to be much more heavily Democratic. Uh, Latinos, 38, 39% of the population, more, I think, generally more de uh, Democratic. White all over the place. Um, so how does that bode for the future for Asian-American political clout in the state if there's wide variation instead of sort of concentrated, uh, concentrated political yeah, I, I just had this conversation with um, with somebody else in, in you know another Asian American in, in the world of politics, and um, what's interesting is, is that it's it's an evolution. And yeah, there there used to be you know balkanization of Asian Pacific communities, um, not necessarily competition, but also not no unity. It was it was it was hard because you know I'm Chinese or the other person is Japanese American or Korean American and there are differences and you know we're 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 generally Asian American but that didn't really mean anything but okay. i would say that within the last year and um, particularly because of the hate crimes and because of the focus there there has been um, what i would say a renaissance in um, in identity politics for uh, Asian Pacific Americans, um, they are they they understand that even though um, they may be Korean or Filipino or Japanese or Chinese descent, that the outside world sees us all as foreign and Asian and not distinct to one specific subethnic group, and therefore we need to unite as a a broader um, uh, kind of unified uh, Asian Pacific American identity. In addition, you know, there are generational um, factors. What I've found recently is that there's this whole new generation of younger Asian Americans that um, really see themselves as Asian Americans and not necessarily specifically one or the other. Um, and that is a function of uh, just kind of generational identity. But also, you'll find that a huge generation of uh, younger Asian Americans are mixed Asian Americans, like they are Korean Japanese, Korean Chinese, Korean Filipinos. So, you know, there's been a lot of blending going on in the last, you know, several generations. And I think that you're starting to see this, um, this, this uh, new identity that is coming forth as a result of that, where, um, you know, they all, they all understand that they are Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. And they're also very, at the same time, proud of their specific sub-ethnic um, heritage. Similarly to, you know, um, you know, Caucasians where, you know, you see yourself as American, but then you're also proud Italian American or proud Irish American and, you know, th those types of nuances, but, you know, still, still have a broader identity that you've, you've kind of embraced. Now, traditionally, uh, 
a lot of the Vietnamese immigrants who immigrated to California, a lot of them ended up in Orange County. Mm -hmm. They tended to be much more conservative and more Republican leaning than other Asian immigrants. Now, are you seeing that change? I mean, I do know that Orange County's voting record has really changed. Are you seeing that within that community? Well, the trend line was that that was starting to change. Like younger Vietnamese Americans were, were less Republican. Um, and even some of the older uh, Vietnamese were starting to um, move toward the Democratic side because of, of uh, you know, anti-refugee policies, um, you know, uh, racist rhetoric, those types of things. But in this last election cycle, um, uh, Republican campaigns effectively exploited um, the uh, the kind of uh, fear of communism and communist China um, as as a tool to to bring them back into the party. Um, they they used it quite effectively in, in Orange County, and we saw a lot of Vietnamese uh, voters that we we thought were trending toward the Democrats, you know, go back uh, to vote for a Republican based upon that that rhetoric and and those types of uh, techniques, uh, political communication techniques. I wonder what would have happened if uh, if uh, the Vietnamese who came in 1975 and spring of 75 and later had not landed in Orange County, but had landed, say, in San Francisco or landed in Alameda or landed in an area with a heavy political uh, leadership, democratic political leadership, because I think immigrants and refugees to protect themselves uh, identify with the people in power, with the powerful institutions as a way, I think, of self-protection. And I wonder if they had landed in Marin or they'd been in, you know, another area, if their framework would have been completely different. I don't, we'll never know, I guess, but I'm just wondering if that would have, if that would have worked. Well, you see some of it, like in, in the, uh, the Midwest with like Minnesota, the Hmong community that's heavily involved in the labor movement. Um, you know, they, they support a lot of uh, Democratic candidates and run Democratic candidates. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, that where you land really has some impact on, you know, what you politically, how, how you politically behave. You know, when they did the redistricting uh, in 2010 and the maps around 2011, a couple of very heavily Asian areas. Berryessa in San Jose and Koreatown in Los Angeles had been fractured between various uh, districts. I think it's assembly districts. Mm -hmm. But after that redistricting, they were they were combined. They were you know in in one district. So they would made that effort to put them together. Is that happening? From what you see, this the numbers aren't out yet, obviously. But do you see that happening again this year? Is it going to increase or expand? Well, actually, most of the experts feel that. Um after this cycle that there, there will be three um, section two voting rights act um, Asian districts in the Bay area. And then one uh, section two voting rights act uh, Asian district in the, in um, Southern California. So most likely the San Gabriel Valley will be one. And then um, there'll be one in, in uh, like the San Francisco area and then, or peninsula. And then the, there'll, there'll be uh, one further down in San Jose, Santa Clara and, and Fremont. Does that mean the districts would be predominantly Asian, they reflect yeah, that a community right. interest. What we hear they're talking about. Uh, these are these are the majority minority districts. If if uh, the section two says that if you have uh, if you can make a, a minority majority district, then then you are somewhat compelled to to do so. Uh -huh. And those those areas have such high Asian populations that they have enough uh, uh, numerical representation in order to to trigger the section two um, status. Do you think um, you know we talked about redistricting before on the podcast and. Uh, 
there's always speculation about whether we will lose a congressional seat, potentially even two, but the likelihood maybe one. Are you seeing that as well? And if so, do you have any indication where districts might be compressed so we have so we move one out? Any idea what's going on with that? Um, yeah, I mean, I've heard the same things you have that that you know most likely we'll lose a congressional and you know potentially two. Um, what the early numbers seem to indicate is, is that um, Southern California has has an undercount, um, and that that's where um, districts will will kind of emanate from and and uh, potentially you know have to consolidate uh, for population purposes a seat. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the accuracy of the count goes, the census, uh, California counts, uh, the complete count here in California, there was a real attempt to have meetings across the state. And they did, they didn't attempt, they did it. There are a couple dozen at least mm-hmm. and more probably to make sure they got as many people counted as they could in various communities. Did you ever get any feedback or hear how that went among the groups that you follow? Um, did the did, census did, do the deed or are we still missing people? Do you think? I think we're missing people. I mean, I, th- I think ultimately the, the, the overall environment, the the fear that the community had about, um, you know, the the uh, administration's the previous administration's stance on immigration and yeah. status. I mean, I think I think all that stuff has a huge impact on whether or not people feel comfortable completing any type of government document, including the census. And I think that that was the main driver of why we're probably going to have an undercount and why, you know, communities of color will be you know predominantly undercounted in in the census. Do you think the uh the delay uh, is going to affect the quality of the maps that ultimately come out of the, of the commission. Or I know there are two views of thoughts. One is, yes, it definitely will, because you're compressing the amount of time you have. The other is it's maybe a, there may be a, some good coming out of this after all, because people around the are doing it already. They're actively working on this already. The commission itself says we took a lot of actions to sort of be proactive and deal with this. You got any sense of that? Um, I, I, you know, not particularly, but whenever you have less time to, to do, you know, the same amount of work, it's, it's always going to be much more challenging. So, um, you know, you're just adding additional factors to the whole process, which is quite complicated. Um, and when, when that happens, uh, you know, things, things can fall through the cracks. Do you see any, uh, expansion of the, uh, Asian American pol- uh, population in California seems to have been steadily increasing, not exponentially, not really dramatically, but increasing. Is that continuing now? I mean, we, in the context of California, maybe actually flatlining or losing people is how's the Asian American population doing there? Uh, yeah, I think it's pretty stable. It, it just really depends. I mean, a lot of it, it was, you know, in the past has been driven by, um, you know, uh, global geopolitics, you know, and, you know, yeah. whether or not, you know, some disaster somewhere or some war-torn area is, is going to drive uh, a new wave of immigration and, and refugees that, that are that are out there. Um, so, uh, you know, I think everything else, all the other factors stay the same with regard to birth rate and, and, and things like that. Um, and, it, you know, it is, uh, you know, California is just by nature, um, uh, you know, more expensive to live in, you know, with property values are higher, um, you know, cost of living is higher, all that type of stuff. So um, I think, you know, uh, you know, people generally, when that happens, spread out. Do you think um, the number of Asians in the legislature, number of Asians in, in Congress from California is going to continue to rise, regardless of what party, but just general? 
<laughs> Hard to say, you know, it's, it's, it's cyclical. I mean, I don't think that the Asian Americans have as much of a pipeline as say the Latino or the African American community. Um, uh, so, and, and they're just, they're, they're relative newcomers to the political world. So it's, it's not as consistent as, as other communities. Um, so um, you'll, you'll see like an increase, you know, for example, even even from a gender perspective, there was there's a time when the Asian Pacific Islander Caucus was dominated by women, and then now it's dominated by men. It's it you know it just it's a timing issue. It's um it's a you know whether or not people are at the right place at the right time to run for those seats. Yeah. Um, you know there's there's a lot of factors, but it definitely is not. It's not as um I would say it's probably not as was not as high a priority to get more Asian electeds. Uh, in the past than it is today. I think today, uh-huh. with regard to the hate crimes, with regard to understanding the importance of having an API um, uh, attorney general, um, all of those things are, are going to make the uh, Asian American Pacific Islander community look at this a lot differently than they have in the past. Um, do you think in the legislature, uh, actually, let me back up, statewide, right now, Assuming Rob Bont is confirmed, we have Rob Bont as AG, Betty E as controller, Fiona Ma as treasurer. Uh, so three of the seven statewide constitutional officers are uh, held by Asian Americans. That's a pretty good percentage. I think there's more of them than there are whites. Uh, let me think here. I have to count those up. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that, that seems to bode pretty well. Is that a cyclical thing too? Or do you think that's going to increase statewide? Do you think uh, there'll be an increase? Um, it depends. I mean, you know, it could be, but it also depends upon the uh, Asian American and Pacific Islander community about whether or not they want to, to invest long term in, um, in in politics and in p- political representation. Um, you know, we also had a previous high water mark when, um, you know, John Chung was controller or uh, was treasurer and Betty was controller. And, um, you know, uh, there was a, a, t- a time when, you know, Judy Chu uh, was at the Board of Equalization and Fiona Ma was at the Board of Equalization. So, I mean, you know, we've had a a, a tradition and even from a bipartisan standpoint, Matt Fong was um, was state treasurer and at Board of Equalization, too. So and then Marsh Fong, you as secretary of state. So so there's been a tradition, but it has not been as consistent. Um, Again, you know, you have to have people ready to run for office. Running for office is, is, you know, not something you take lightly. It's it's a tremendous commitment on your time and family, on your personal resources yeah. Yeah, all that type of stuff. So, you know, I remember covering March Fong Yu uh, a couple times in a couple of races, and one that was really amazing. I went to a fundraiser in uh, Fremont, and she was a uh, she was the main speaker. Obviously, it was during the campaign, and the the amount of discipline and organization in her supporters with her supporters was amazing. It was absolutely one hundred percent cohesive. It was really concentrated. And looking back on that, I wonder if that was because there weren't that many Asian Americans running anyway that they could get behind, or was that a function of the Chinese community that was more, you know, attuned to her politically? Uh, it just seemed was pretty amazing. She had a pretty amazing campaign organization. Um, so put that know, out there for what it's worth. Yeah, I mean, she was unique. She was iconic, one, um, you know, as a, as a, um, as an elected official and as Asian American Pacific Islander, um, you know, she, she had uh, a lot of style and understanding of, of media savvy. She had a lot of very strong people around her. 
um, you know, support staffers uh, that were that from what I know were, were extremely loyal to her, you know, throughout her entire political career. And, you know, she came from a, a you know, she, she came from a, a, a pretty um, solid kind of political, you know, East Bay dynasty, from what I understand as, you know, not, not from a, a, a ethnic standpoint, but, you know, the people that she hung around were all very, you know, smart political people. And, you know, she ran her campaigns like that. And I think that that, that would, that was the model, um, uh, you know, for, for a lot of people. And she was an icon for a lot of the people that eventually ran for office. Yeah. I think she was born in the back of a wagon moving through Oakley. I think I remember mm-hmm. reading yeah. that one time. I thought it's pretty, that's a pretty amazing background. Um, she was tough. Uh, you know, talk about backgrounds. Ralph Bonta, um, he comes to the U.S. as an immigrant with his parents when he's two months old and he settles near Keene. Uh, which was Cesar Chavez headquarters. Then he goes northward to Sacramento, lives in Fair Oaks. Uh, I think he's valedictorian of his class, his high school class. Then he goes, I mean, the guy is already like 11 years old and he's already going to Yale or something. So he goes to Yale and then he goes to, and gets a degree. Then he goes to Oxford. Then he comes back to the Yale Law School. John, stop. You're making me feel guilty about my life here. Totally. I like to think of myself as a late bloomer. but <laughs> This guy, he just has done everything. It was really pretty amazing background sort of takes your breath away. And I really didn't know that till I started researching just a little bit, figuring, uh, predicting he might get, you know, the appointment as AG, but that's pretty amazing background. I think that's a lot for you to work with as a political strategist. He's got this amazing resume. Oh no, it's great. And, you know, obviously this is, this is not the end of his journey. This is only the beginning of his journey. Um, although, uh, you know, the irony that I talked to a lot of Asian candidates about is like, you, you've got a great record, but, Unfortunately, in, in, in our kind of political world, uh, nobody has enough attention span to really care. So, you know, uh, regardless of how sterling his, his ach- achievements are, what we continue to, to have a challenge is, is to get the attention of, of voters uh, on that. Um, it's, it's, it's really hard. So what, uh, actually, maybe a last question. Well, we started with Bonta. I guess we can wrap up with Bonta. But what does Rob Bonta have to do when he's holding when he's in AG, when he's performing the office to get attention, what, what is it that he needs to do? Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, in a lot of ways, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of uh, counterintuitive. It's, it's his job to not necessarily get attention. It's his job to, to do his job well and, and to, to not make any unforced errors. I think that the, the public is highly sensitive to, you know, politician-y politicians and, you know, so long as, you know, he, uh, you know, uh, uh, does the duties of that office, um, you know, as well as he's done as a legislator, he should be fine. Great. Hey, actually, John, let me ask one last, one last, last question. Uh, so you're talking about unforced errors, and that brings up uh, what is happening right now with our governor, Governor Newsom, who is facing a very likely recall uh, not necessarily a recall, but likely that the election will go through. And do you have a sense of how the Asian American voting community is looking at that? I know that I've just seen some reports out that he may have, he being Newsom, may have some worries with the Latino community and that they may not support him in the recall. And there's, you know, there's been a few stories about that. Do you have any sense of, of where the Asian, Asian American Pacific Islander community is on that? Um, 
it, it's it's hard to say. You know, one, uh, I would say that the governor has a very strong record on Asian uh, American Pacific Islander issues, going all the way back to being, you know, on the board of supervisors and, and mayor of San Francisco. So he's got a lot to work with. He's got a lot of allies. I think over 130 uh, Asian American Pacific Islander elected officials came out early to endorse the, the governor's reelect and oppose the recall. Uh, so he's got a lot to work with. Um, but you know, I think the challenge that we have both with the polling that you saw with regard to Latinos and Asian Americans and voters in general is that um, they're they're very uh, fluid right now. They they're uh, very unpredictable, and we're we're in an era right now of uh, you know propagated disinformation. Um, so it's a lot harder for us to uh, to to communicate you know, the good things that an elected official has done. And it's a lot easier to make, you know, up bad rumors about an elected official. And those get a lot more throw than, you know, whatever you work on that that is, is worthy because it's, you know, it's, it's complicated um, and it's, it's, it's difficult to explain. And, um, and it's not as, as, as uh, viral as, um, you know, some type of really uh, salacious, um, you know, assertion from, you know, political entities. And that's, that's the challenge that we have. I and mean, that's the challenge that we're going to have to fight is, um, you know, this, this new uh, addiction to, um, you know, utilizing disinformation um, as, as a political tactic to, to win elections. Great. Uh, Bill, thank you very much. Bill Wong, thank you for joining us today. Tim Foster. Thanks for having thank me. Yeah. Thanks, John. Thanks, Bill. Yep. And this is John Howard saying goodbye, and we will catch you next time around. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.